come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, today we are so grateful that we can come to you with our concerns, our cares. We thank you, God, for being a God who has an open ear to us and knows what we need and has the plan and everything worked out. We just pray, Father, for our faith that we can continue to trust you even when things don't seem to be going our way or we don't go the way we want them to. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come before you and to bring our nation with grave concerns that we have, but we're so grateful, Father, that you know exactly what's going to happen and you have it all in control. Help us really, Father God, to have faith. And we pray, Father God, especially for our leaders, that, Lord, you work in their hearts and their minds, and that they will change their attitudes, and that will desire to do what's right and what's God-pleasing in our government and in our nation. And Heavenly Father, we pray, Father God, too, for those who are protecting our country overseas, and on our streets, Lord, who risk their lives every day, that you'll protect them, <clears throat> you'll keep them safe. And Lord, we pray for our people, that they will understand the right for rule and order, and though today it's chaotic, we know that, Lord. There's a lot of people who don't think they have any laws or rules to govern them, they just can do whatever they want. And it frustrates us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you put them in our way for a purpose and give us the wisdom how to deal with them. And Father God, we want to pray especially for those who are struggling with being homebound, for Bill, for Evelyn, for Lucille, for Karen, for Kay, for Joyce, for our sister Betty, who's confined because of her surgery on her cancer. We pray that you continue to heal it and take away the pain. We think of our sister Judy, who had... Um, Bone spurs removed from her feet. We pray also, too, for Steve, our pianist family, and the loss of his sister-in-law who outlived her expectancy with her anencephalus and who passed away this week at 55 years old. And we thank you for the wonderful love and devotion that her mother and sister and father and family like Steve, who came around her and continued to work with her and strengthen her all those years and kept her alive so long. We thank you for the joy that she would do in lighting up a room when she would just have that big smile on her face. I pray, Jesus, that you'll be with them and bring them comfort as there's now going to be a large hole in their lives because they spent a lot of time in her care. Pray also too, Father God, for our friend <clears throat> Dr. Bott, who is battling his cancer. I pray also too for Kendra, who now is getting settled up in Cedar Rapids. I pray also for Todd and uh, the struggles he's having recovering from his heart surgery and his wife Angie, who's battling cancer. I pray for a wife, Lord, that she'll open her eyes to see what she's doing and change her life and change her mind. We thank you, Christ, that you die for us, Lord, and I pray for her as she understands that. I pray also, too, Father God, for 
uh, two friends right now who are struggling in their lives. Lord, I pray that you'll help them. I pray for Wendell. pray for him and for another young man, Lord. I pray also too, Father God, for um, the Samantha and her battle with cancer. I pray also too for Ryan and his cancer. I pray also for Jason who just found out he had cancer and had it removed, but is as a slow recovery, bring healing to his body also. And I pray for our children, Lord, watch over them and keep them safe. And I pray, Lord, for those who are struggling with addiction. I think of Ryan, who now has a new placement, but I just pray that he'll understand and see you and follow your way. For Jordan, for David, for Eric, for Ricky, for Mitch, all these who battle that addiction, Lord, that you'll bring healing to them. And Father God, we thank you that, uh, Lord, that your love is sufficient for all that we need. And today, Lord, as we come before you, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to make it come alive to our hearts and to see the importance of what you have for us, Jesus. And it's in your precious name I pray this. Amen. Some of us watch ESPN and they have usually ten top plays of the week. Or sometimes ten top plays of the day. <clears throat> wonder how busy they were with sports. And, you know, sometimes I'll sit there and watch and say, well, that wasn't such a great catch. I made a couple of those when I was in high school or in college. Then you go to the History Channel and they have their top ten events that changed the world, and you say, well, maybe a couple of them, but I don't think those other ones really that important. And then we come to the Old Testament, and we wonder what were the top ten big things that happened in the Bible. Well, of course, Genesis 1, the beginning of creation. Genesis 3, the fall of mankind. Maybe Noah and the Flood, maybe the Ten Commandments, maybe David being king, or maybe Israel's fall and Judah's fall, maybe Isaiah 40, 53, where Jesus is declared the suffering servant. One of the ones that will surprise you is this passage today. Because this is one of the most fundamental things that has happened in Israel's history. That defined Israel, defined her as a worshiping community and relationship with God. And it's a very easy passage to miss. And I was surprised about it. But it actually truly is a powerful passage that helps us especially and founded and helped Israel formulate its relationship of worship with God and help them to see how important it was. Now there's this two scenes in which Moses goes up on the mountain and yet it's interesting he never comes down but he goes up twice. Sometimes that's because they just either neglected it or that he had come down and they had not seen it. Or that we find that he went up on the mountain with 74 people, himself, Aaron, Abihu, 
and his other nephew. And that also, too, they went up on command of God. And then the 70 elders that went with them. And one of the things we find, at first there's a six-day period in which he waits. And then some scholars say, well, he was commanded to do that, but he doesn't do it until the later on in the verse afterwards. And that they all go up, and then Moses goes up further up the mountain into the cloud and receives from God what he needs. And what we find here is a very interesting thing that goes on. If you remember in chapter 20, we got the Ten Commandments, and then from 20 to 23, we also had it explained to us in some law how they actually worked those Ten Commandments in some situational laws and how they worked. And last week, remember, we talked about uh, the powerful thought about uh, capital punishment and how that was going to be handled. Well, today, the Word of God speaks to us here. And it brings two things together. It takes the commands of God and also His covenant, which starts right after the commandment and goes through chapters 21, 22, and 23, and comes to its end at 24. And it teaches us about God putting together the Word of God for us, how God also provides for us a covenant He makes with us. He doesn't have to do that. But out of His faithfulness and out of His love, He gives to us covenant. He binds Himself with us. And, you know, do not believe what you hear sometimes in the street cred of religion. Because there's some people who said, well, God created mankind because he was lonely. And he needed relationship. That is not true. God is fully cared for by himself. And in his being, he's fully satisfied. God never had to create this. God never had to save us but as an expression of who God is, as an expression of God's loving character, as an expression of God's creative power in His grace, we discover how great God is by all the things that He has done in Scripture. He didn't have to do it. He didn't need it. God has no need within Himself. We need God. But he does not need us. And some people are of the false opinion, and it's an opinion, it's not from Scripture, that God needed us. He did never needed us. But out of the free expression of his love and free expression of his grace, he has given to us so much and how blessed we have been because of his free choice. And not ours. And that we realize how little we really have and how little we are in control. And today the scripture talks to us not only about this covenant that he makes with us, but that how we're accountable to him and how he helps us and provides for us. And that we find that Sunday, when we come to worship, 
This is a special day. This is just not any other day. But this is a time when we get together and we renew that covenant with God every Sunday. We know that we don't worship like the Jews on Saturday. We worship on Sunday because we're reminded of the renewal every Sunday that Christ rose from the dead. And that he has covenanted with us and he has given us life everlasting because of Christ's resurrection. That he gave his life for us to wash away our sins. We also know that this covenant renewal should happen every Sunday. And you see, this is what happens here with Moses and the people of God. People of God are afraid of God. They don't want to see him. They don't want to talk with him. They're scared to death, but they create a mediator. God gives them a mediator, Moses, to stand between them and receive from them the word so that they can understand him and what he wants and what he desires. And that God is faithful and that he's wholly other. No one can even come close to him. And so here we have it. Then the Lord instructed Moses, come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And all must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated the instruction, all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. And all the people answered with one voice, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. And then Moses carefully wrote down those instructions. Now it's interesting how worship looks like in our society today. This is the beginning of God showing us how to worship him. How to open our eyes to what he has done for us. And that's what we do when we come. We renew this covenant and we discover God in new ways every Sunday. And what we find is a lot of people today look at worship and they say, it's entertainment. We got to figure out what new thing we can explode or what new thing we can do that will keep people in the seats and keep the revenue going. That's not worship. That is not, it's entertainment. It's not worship. How we can inspire people, some others say, that they can leave uplifted and feeling good. One pastor was told when he visited, he says, Pastor, if you ever come back here, remember you never use the S word. What was the S word? Sinner. You never call the people sinners. You never tell them about them being sinners. We don't do that at this church. We want to inspire. We want to uplift people. We want them to go away with a spring in their step. Other people think it's an opportunity to show their gifts and their talents, which is not bad. But when it's just for that, we miss the point. We want it to edify the body, yes. We also want to understand the truth of God and live in that truth and recommit ourselves to it every Sunday. Because God is recommitting himself and he doesn't have to recommit. He's committed to you and to me eternally. 
He doesn't change His mind about you. His love is for you and His grace is for you no matter where we go. The Bible says in Romans that nothing's going to separate you from that love of God, which is in Christ Jesus that you've accepted in your heart. Some believe it's just a teaching time. That's part of it. But that's not all that it is. It's a time of communing with God together as the body of Christ. The word in the New Testament is called ecclesia. People who are pulled out, a group of people who are set apart for God's pleasure. And that we are the body of Christ, the church, the ecclesia, pulled out to serve Him, set apart, being different than the world and holy. And we come here to renew that every Sunday. And in the simplest terms, it's what we call as a covenant. A covenant is a contract between two people who basically sign in blood that they're committed. Now we know some covenants or contracts that people make with bankers when they buy a house. We even know the contract or the covenant that the marriage should be. It's a covenant between two people before God that they are committed until death parts them. And some contracts were even done in some marriages in Hebrew history. What they would do is phenomenal. And I would think, boy, that would be a pretty ugly service. But what they would do is they would chop an animal in half. And they put one half of the animal on one side and one half of the other on the other side. And as the couple was leaving the ceremony, they would make a pledge, may we be like this animal. Split apart if, and, 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 and destroy if we do not follow this covenant we've made between each other. That's how sacred it was to them that they'd be killed. And you see, here is the beautiful part about that. God gives this obligation to us first. And then we obligate ourselves to Him like He's doing here with Israel. They are renewing. They say, God, You've done all this for us, and now we commit ourselves to You. And we're in covenant together. And that's what we do when we worship here every Sunday. We renew that covenant. And notice there's a book of the covenant, you'll see. There's the blood of the covenant. And then there's also this bread of the covenant that takes place in our passage today. And it talks to us about God who is holy. So far beyond what we could ever imagine that we can't even approach him without a mediator. And so what we have is Moses is Chosen by God to mediate between the people of Israel. They know their sins. They know they can't. And they're fearful of him. And then the significance that is highlighted with the law and the word. And that law is central to keeping them together in him. And obeying him. And then understanding his grace as he communes with us. And how we receive that. Not by any of our own doing. Not by Israel being such a great nation. No, God called them out of nothing to make them something for His glory.
And the principle of the centrality of the word holds us together and commits ourselves to that word. You know, this is the first time we have any reference to the beginning of the Bible being written. And Moses is writing down what God has said. And he continues to do. In fact, he writes those first five books of the Bible. What a blessing they are. And those covenants, that covenant, and how God calls us to love him and to live with our neighbor. And there's a lot of law in these first five books. And Jesus summarized it when he said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart. Boom. This is one of the ways you do it. And also that you love your neighbor. And the expression of loving your neighbor is also an act of worship by God. That's what we're called to. And that we need this mediator to go before us when we mess up. And that we recount to the Lord how wonderful he's been to us. And that the word of God then guides us. As God has already written the Ten Commandments with his own finger. And then Moses continues by following up with the covenant. And all those laws that are interpreted the way they were like we understood them last week. And there's two glorious principles here. That we need the mediator. And that the word is meant for us to obey. It's the heart of God that we follow. And it's important. But you know as well as I do, it's very easy to get distracted. How easy is it to distract it in your day and age? I know in my day, there's a lot of things calling for my attention that take me away from God and his wisdom. And sometimes we think they're important, but they're really not. Here we see it. Part of an example. Jesus is up on the hill and the transfiguration takes place. Moses and Elijah is there talking with Jesus. And Peter, James, and John are watching this and they're blown away. And what does Peter think about? Does he think about, oh, let's listen and let's talk with them? No, he's thinking about, okay, what am I going to build to kind of hold this all together and remember this? Rather than thinking about a relationship with God, and going deeper with him. Peter is distracted. He's pulled away from it. You see, sometimes we struggle with ADD in Christianity. Adult attention disorder. When we lose sight of what's really important. I don't know about you, but I find myself getting all wrapped up in other things and then finally realize that that wasn't that important. And how I needed to get myself back grounded. I was made aware of this yesterday. One of the fellows that goes to our church was on the treadmill. We were having this discussion and he talked to me and talked about Coach Tang from K-State. And that... He says here, 28 minutes before on Thursday they were to go into the big stage of Madison Square Garden and play one of the biggest games of his career. He's on the phone with the parents of a little girl in Mays. 
mother and father, Lily Kane. And he was praying for their family and called them and said, he was thinking about them and praying for them before the game because his mother once told them about how painful it is to lose a child. And Lily was killed in a car wreck two weeks ago on her way, I think, home from school. And how he was praying for them and encouraging the family and he was going to devote this game to Lily. And that God wanted him to call them. And how really this game is really not that important compared to that. We all know that, don't we? Sometimes we get distracted. And he was just sharing that after the interview, after the game. Because he realized the game is okay. But here are these people who lost this beautiful girl who loved the Lord and were in mourning and struggle and how he could maybe lift their load a little bit. What's important? And sometimes we lose track of that with God. God is gracious, he shares with us. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins. The other half he splattered against the altar and he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. And again they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, look, the blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. The Lord's Moses sanctifies them. He spreads the blood on top of the people that shows them that they need the covering of God in their forgiveness and to come to the altar of God and be with Him. And that blood is sprinkled on them as a propitiation. You ever want to know what propitiation means? It means He covers us with the blood. That's what He did on the cross for us. He covered our sin and the things that we do to break the law and He washes us clean, expiates our lives. And the word means really that God is for us, pro us. Because he covers our sin. And he builds this bond of covenant with us. And begins with relationship with him. And we work together in that. And that as we come on Sunday we do that. And every day we build that relationship. But we come together on Sunday to rebuild and reacquaint ourselves. And affirm ourselves in these gospel truths. And we thank him. But we find here that the blood covers that sin. And it's the same thing we find in Jesus Christ for us. We know that Christ is the vicarious substitute for us. That means when Christ died, and we who believe in Jesus Christ has taken all 
all of our sins and dropped it on the back of Christ. Every sin that you ever commit in your life, everything that you've ever done in your life has been put on the back of Christ. And as He's suffering on the cross, God's wrath comes on Him full blast for all the sins that we have committed. God's anger and wrath are on us. Don't go to us. They go to Christ. And they're on His shoulders. And at that moment, Christ then reappropriates and vicariously puts His righteousness in our bank account. And that we are free and clean for all of our sin. And that the Holy Scriptures testify to this. And because of this great vicarious sacrifice, we find then gratitude spilling out of our hearts. It should anyway. We shouldn't treat it flippantly. We should look at it and realize what it is. And it wasn't cheap. And it isn't cheap. But it cost Christ to suffer on the cross for us so that we could be free. And that when we stand before Almighty God, He doesn't see you or me before Him. He sees Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness because we have been given the righteousness of Christ. And as Moses dips in the hyssop and spreading it all out on the people, he's reminding them of God's sacrifice. The blood is poured on them so that they could have a relationship with him. And out of that comes the gratitude that we owe. You know, it's very easy in our society to become very ungrateful. We see it a lot. And sometimes we could come to church or we go before the Lord and it's easy to get a ho-hum attitude. But as we think in what God has done for us, what He's poured out for us, we seriously understand the depth of our failure. We see that that blood is so precious that flows from Calvary for us that we don't take it for granted. We don't take it from a ho-hum point of view, but that we really come to appreciate it on a deeper level. Sometimes we don't experience that or feel that until we've done something really tragically wrong. And then we feel the grossness of our own human being and sometimes we're even, our egos tell us that we're even surprised that we did such a thing. And sometimes that's because we think we're still pretty good people. Until that one thing happens and we can't believe we've done it. I had a friend that committed a horrible act in fact, even in my own heart, 
And I realize that I'm not the judge and the jury over his life. That God is. And I couldn't even imagine thinking of him being forgiven. That's how angry I was in my heart. But God made me realize that that sin is not only forgiven for him, but so it is with me. We're truly repentant. You know, how many times have you thought about it? A guy like Jeffrey Dahmer or a serial killer like the Carr brothers. Or BTK. And you really think that there's a very special place in a certain place. Amen. But what if they really, truly come repentantly before the throne of God and ask for his forgiveness? Is there anything that God cannot forgive? That's a hard one for us to sometimes think about, isn't it? But you see, here is this God of graciousness reveals himself to the children of Israel. Moses, Aram, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders, all 74 of them, climb up the mountain again. And there they saw a God of Israel under his feet. There were seemed to be surface a brilliant blue lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. What an act of God's grace. And in fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. We see this tremendous theophany. God revealing himself to these 74 people. And he shows fellowship with them. This is an awesome event, folks. And he shows that he's giving a meal to them because he wants them to be covenanted. You know, as we enter into covenant, now we just don't make a covenant, but God becomes our friend. And we break bread together with him. And so it is with these. And the bread is a sign and the seal of the covenant that we have. What God has made with us. And how sinful people are able to dwell with this holy God. And not die. Because the book of the law. Because of the blood and now here with the communion, as he prepares the table before us, as the psalmist says. And here they are under his feet, and they see this marvelous theophany of color and brilliance. And they're worshiping him. And they're overwhelmed that God would even say, come up. And now here they are seeing the feet Michael Horton says a marvelous thing. He writes this beautiful passage. He says, 
is in the contents that we talk about the covenantal renewal ceremony. Whenever we gather for public worship, because we have been summoned as the church, the ecclesia, called out, it is not a voluntary society of those whose chief concern is to share or to build community or enjoy fellowship or moral instruction of our children and so forth. Rather, it's a society of those who have been chosen, redeemed, justified, and are sanctified until the day Christ returns. And we gather each Lord Day, not merely to have it or out of a social custom or even felt needs, but because God has chosen us this weekly festival as a foretaste of the everlasting Sabbath that we will partake when he has the marriage of the Lamb's Supper in heaven. God has called us out of the world and into his marvelous life. And that's why we gather. He captures it. And here we are. This powerful God that these folks are seeing right now. This awesome God in theophany that they should be dead. Instead, he calls us into communion with him. As he did the 74 here. And what we realize is that we're not in control. You know how hard that is for us to be that? That we're not in control, that he is. And that he reveals himself as sovereign Lord of the universe. Of whom we bow to and we give ourselves fully to. And that we realize that God is God. And we're not. And that as the circumstances of life come pouring down into our lives and struggle with them as we do, we realize and understand that he is in control. That we need to rest on him. And folks, we are impatient. Just like the children of Israel, Moses is going to be up here for 40 days receiving from the Lord. And the children of Israel got impatient. And what they do, they begin with Aaron and they work them so that they build a calf. Because they're impatient. Not realizing that this God who shows them a glimpse of the sky that his feet are on. And he's showing us that this God is not in stuff. He's not Mother Earth. He's not conjoined with the earth. But that he is the ruler of heaven and earth. And all that is in them. That he's the sovereign Lord. And that he's not like us. He's above us. He's the creator of everything. He's not part of the world or under the world or surrounded by the world. He's over it all. And this is so hard for us to conceive. And yet God spares them. 
as he brings them into covenant. He wants them to taste the sweetness that he has for them. That's what he wants with us. He wants us to taste his sweetness every day. And that he wants to relate with us. And that's our final thing. God says, come up to me on the mountain. Stay there and I will give you tablets of stone which I have inscribed the instructions, commands to you to teach the people. He gives Moses specific instructions to come up. And God does the same thing for us. We see that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and 20 through 25. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways in which we can motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect the meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially as the day is drawing near. See, this is what God wants us to do. He wants to build us and strengthen us so that as the day is drawing near, we are stronger and stronger to withstand all that we have to do. I have a friend right now who's in a dilemma of what to do because his job is putting pressure on him. And he has to make a decision whether he's going to follow what the Lord wants him to do or is he going to follow what his boss wants him to do. And he's keeping his eyes focused, and that's what's getting him through. Keeping his eyes focused on the Lord and the blessings God will give him. He's been asked to take the Bible that he has on his desk that he's had there for 25 years off his desk because it's too intimidating for people at his work. And he's refusing to do so in honor of the Lord because it's helped many of people that have come into that door of his office who he's helped and counseled and showed them what God wants for their life. But now the pressure's on. I've been times called aside. So we don't want you praying in the name of Jesus. It's insulting to other people. I am a gospel minister of Jesus Christ, and that's who I bow to, and that's who's my Lord, and I'm not going to stop praying to Him that people should understand me and our faith. And I'm not being arrogant about this, but this is the truth of the gospel. For all men and all women. And that I trust in God's faithfulness and how Christ is my Lord. And here we have it. God has come to Israel, gave them a mediator. We have mediator Jesus Christ. He come and gave them the word of God. He wrote it down and Moses now is writing it. And he will write the five books of the Bible. First five. We have that word for us now. That we live by. 
And we've commanded, we've committed, just like the children of Israel, that we will follow those words. And we look for blessings from God. Because the blood was spilled for us. And out of gratitude, we give ourselves fully to God. And we trust that he has his purpose for us. You know, sometimes we lose track of how great God is. That's what this passage shows us, how great he really is. As he shows himself to the children of Israel. I want to close with these two stories to put into your head what we need to do this week as we leave this place renewals of the covenant that God has made for us. And that is there was a little boy who went to a drugstore with his mother. And as they were in this drugstore, they got to the checkout line and the owner of the store said to him, Son, you can reach here, because he saw this kid was like chopping his bit at the candy that was in that little big barrel. He said, you can put your hand in there and grab a whole handful and take it and put it in your pocket and go home with it. The little boy was very tentative and he wouldn't do it. And finally, the owner of the store reached into that bucket and pulled out a whole handful of candies and placed it in that mother's bag for that little boy. When they got outside, the mother said, Son, why didn't you put your hand in there and get the candy out for yourself? He said, Mom, that man's hand was bigger than mine. And let me tell you, we have a God who's got a big hand and wants to bless us and has big plans for us if we don't lose sight that he's got that plan for us. And let me tell you, it's easy to be distracted. And let me close with this story. A reminder, put this on your mind. Back at the turn of the century, the tightrope artist by the name of Blunden stretched his rope across Niagara Falls. And he went across that, he went across with wheelbarrows, and people were just blown away how good he was and how he very rarely faltered and ever, never fell. And they asked him, finally, a reporter said, how do you keep so calm and cool and, and keep your focus? He said, that's it. And he took the reporter and said, do you see that over there? And way at the end of the other end of the tightrope was this X that he had made on the wall. And he says, I never take my eyes off of that. That gives me the balance. And today, Christ is our cross we keep our focus on. 
and remind ourselves that this God that we serve has got some big hands and big blessings and plans for our lives, both at this church and for our own individual lives. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you so much for being that great God. And I thank you for reminding us through this text today that that's who you are. And we need you. We thank you for your grace that saved us. We thank you for your control and sovereign lordship over all this. Help us to keep our minds on you and not be distracted. And help us to focus on glorifying you with our lives. We thank you for this time that we could renew one another. In Jesus Christ's name I pray this. Amen. Let's rise and stand and let's sing our closing song. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, shine in your life to bring his glory in the world. Turn.